Hello, my name is Lindsay Recknell, and this is the Hope Motivates Action podcast. So looking forward to introducing you to Bruce Heslop, today's guest. Bruce recently spent a year living on the west coast of Vancouver Island. What he saw there in terms of the environmental impact from garbage washing on the shores motivated Bruce to start his flower delivery business in Vancouver, focused on disrupting the traditional industry by eliminating single-use plastic from the experience. As a new entrepreneur, Bruce knows the power of hope firsthand, from the stress and excitement of realizing his dream to the day-to-day intentional actions to keep his company flourishing. Bruce will share his humbling experience and his best tips to keep the motivational fire lit. After the podcast, if you like what you hear and you're ready to take action in your life, please visit my website at expertinhope.com and let's chat further about how I can speak to you and your organization. My message and my work is all about using the science of hope to motivate action in your life. Because without action, hope is just a wish. Hello, listeners. Welcome back to the Hope Motivates Action podcast. I am so excited to have my friend Bruce on the line with us today. Hello, Bruce. Hello, Lindsay. How's it going? It's going really well. I am so excited to talk to you today about your life, about your businesses, about your professional journey, and most importantly, about this latest no plastic eco-driven bloom zoom floral business that you have going on sure sure first of all i'd like to introduce people to you and let them know what you're all about so they have a little bit of a background so bruce has lived in the pacific northwest his whole life much of that time spent in vancouver and on vancouver island most recently he and his wife spent a year in backwoods nowhere to fino euculid area and every day got to walk the beaches complete peace and solitude for miles. Lots of time to be with his thoughts and away from social media and Wi-Fi, which ended up being truly transformative in how he lives his life. From that experience, relationships and actual experiences have become much more important than things like consumption. Seeing so much waste from other people's lives washing up on the beach was shocking and moving. So when he came back to Vancouver, He couldn't justify going back to a cubicle job, back to his old kind of life. He wanted to make a difference and prove that a business could be successful without contributing mindlessly to the plastic problem. Thus, Bloom Zoom Floral was born. For the past 90 days, he's been working on this business and relying heavily on hope to power him through the days. Sounds fascinating. Sounds transformative. Tell us more about a year on the beach. What did that look like? How did that feel? Well, it started out as a way for me to get my dog some exercise and get ready for the day. I had moved over there doing a remote job, actually selling consumer electronics to businesses on Vancouver Island. It was great. I would go out every day and take my dog out to the beaches in the morning. And every time I was going out there, I was I started realizing like there's a lot of crap on the beach. There's things washing in and I would just pick them up and start collecting them and then bring them back to the garbage collection areas. And it just kept coming. And every day it was like, Oh, okay, I'll bring a bucket today so that I can pick stuff up. And then after a while I was like, no, I find a bucket every day. I'm just use the bucket I find. And every day was more and more and more stuff. And it, I started trying to take note of where it was coming from. And I found a stuff from as far away as South Africa, Russia, Indonesia, 
China and Japan, all these places. And you can always tell because the, the logos aren't always worn off and you can see the corporate addresses on the bottles and stuff like that. So it was always pretty easy to tell where it was coming from. But it was shocking to me. And I ended up kind of comparing that, what I'm finding on the shores every day to what I'm doing in my job and going, man, I'm contributing to this problem because all of these products are wrapped in plastic and they have styrofoam protection on the inside of the packaging and there's packaging inside of packaging and just never ends. And yeah, so the, <laughs> the beaches were very transformative for me because not only were they a place where I could just completely be with my thoughts and be out there, turn the phone off. I don't have to deal with the corporate world until I get home and turn everything on. It was kind of like this place where I could sit there and go, wow, you know, this is really a big challenge. I remember making a post at one point how single-use plastic was going to be a term that everyone uses a lot in the future. And it sure started to come into play there. I was just, man, all of this stuff that's washing up is somehow it's ended in the ocean and just floating around. And it's all single-use the one that was the most shocking to me, it was a bottle of dish soap from South Africa. And it had barnacles on it and all this stuff, but I could still see the logo and the address for the company. And I thought, man, that thing has traveled a long ways from South Africa to the west coast of Vancouver Island. Just imagine how much other stuff is out there. And we spent a year on the west coast in Euclid, which is such a beautiful place. And my wife had a sabbatical from her work in Vancouver that was a one year long sabbatical. So it was ending and we were trying to decide what to do about the lifestyle there. And we ended up having to come back to Vancouver. And when I came back to Vancouver, I just was like, man, I don't know how I can go back to jobs where you promoting just rampant waste like that. I've always been entrepreneurial. So it's always been my dream to have my own business. I've done a lot of hoping <laughs> for my own <laughs> business in the past. And coming back, I just kind of had to sit down and really dig deep and go, how far away am I from starting my own business? Because is there a way that I can do that and show that a business can be run without the use of plastics? So I just ended up going into my <laughs> folder of ideas. And one of the ideas that I'd had for a long time was this idea of a flower delivery business. I happen to know a few people on the wholesale side of the flower markets in Vancouver, and I got a lot of coaching from them over the years just on, hey, if I was going to start this business, how would I do it? What would I do? You know, Where do I get this? Where do I get that? And so it was this idea that just kind of stuck with me a long time. And when I came back, I started interviewing for other jobs and ended up getting a few interviews, but they were all very corporate salesy jobs that weren't really hitting that heartstring of like, how do I help the plastics problem? One morning I woke up and I thought, you know what, I'm just going to buy a van and start buying flowers from my friend and start selling them on a website. <laughs> and I just did. I had actually gone to an interview. It was a lengthy process, four interviews long. And at the end of it all, they kind of lowballed some offer in for a job that I wasn't really interested in. And I was like, why would they do that? Out of frustration, I, I went and bought the van that day. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, screw it, I'm going to go for it. And I think that's where this hope thing kind of kicked in because I had had the planning 
in my mind. I didn't even have a business plan written down, but I knew it could be done. And so I bought the van, I guess, hoping, knowing in my mind, it was more knowing that it could be done. And I signed up on Shopify. They start with a two week free trial of the website service. I gave myself two weeks to get the business operational because of all of my conversations with my friend, I had figured out how to get all of the pieces in place. And through that process, I was trying to figure out how to make it plastic free. And I didn't realize, but the floral industry is terribly abusive when it comes to plastic. If you ever buy flowers, you can't get them not in plastic. There was recently a single use plastic ban proposed in the city of if it hasn't been yet, I think it's in the process of being heavily reworked or whatever. But in the beginning, there were only two exceptions to the proposed ban in Victoria. And one of those exceptions was for florists, which I found shocking. Like That's how much plastic is in the flower industry, is when a city decides to go plastic free, the floral people in town freak out and, and make sure there's an exception for them. Well, and interesting because I can think of so many other industries or so many other scenarios where plastic is used, like you say, the consumer electronics, right? Yeah. That blows my mind that the floral industry would be an industry lobbying for an exception. You're totally right. What do they use all the plastic for? Well, there's two sides to the plastic in flowers. One is the retail side, which is the side I've chosen to start fixing. <laughs> When the florist is arranging your flowers, the delivery of those flowers, and this is where I try and help out, but they'll make the flowers during the day and then the delivery vehicle comes and picks them up and then you're getting them delivered at some point in the afternoon or whatever. The plastic, the theory is that it helps keep the flowers fresh. They'll do the bouquet and then wrap. I've had up to five large pieces of plastic wrapped around it and then there's a plastic ribbon of some kind it's all designed to look nice and everything like that. But I think the functional use of it is to keep the flowers fresh and also to keep the bouquet standing up straight. If you're not ordering it in a vase or anything like that, then it just comes in that plastic. Right. Yeah, I think that's one of the primary functions of it. And then on the supply side, all of the farms grow the flowers, ship them out to the florists through all of the channels that they have, but they ship from the farm in plastic. For that same reason, they come in bunches often of five or 10 stems and each bunch is wrapped in plastic to keep it standing up straight and they ship in buckets of water. So that's not to keep it fresh. I think it's mainly to keep it standing up straight. Okay. So you don't use plastic. How do you maintain the freshness and beautification of your bouquets? So when I was trying to set up the business, I was trying to figure it out. I'm like, how am I going to make this plastic free? I just decided to use burlap. I'd seen photos of some flowers in burlap. And so I just put together an ongoing relationship with some burlap suppliers. And I go and buy in bulk and I pick it up, no plastic, <laughs> bring it home and cut it into this, the sizes that I need for the bouquets. For the actual delivery and freshness part, I deliver the flowers in a two liter reusable jar. So instead of getting a vase you're never going to use again, a person gets a sealable jar that you can put like pasta or rice or whatever in, in the kitchen afterwards. I mean, the flowers last for a week, week and a half. And then at the end of that, there's a useful product that the person gets out of it as well. And there's no plastic. Like really, there's three components, the flowers, the burlap and the jar. Very, very cool. 
you're a pretty smart guy and you're pretty tuned into the trends of the future. But the fact that you wrote an article about single use plastic before that was even a word that we hear. And now we hear it all the time. You could see that the world was going in that direction. Why? Like, how did you know that was going to be a thing? I grew up in an off-grid lifestyle. Like my parents were basically hippies, blue-collar hippies, I call them, because they were really more self-sufficiency. My brother and I grew up on a, a farm in northern BC with no electricity and no running water. And everything about our lifestyle was really focused on what's needed. And I'm not sure if that sort of informed my view of the world. And when I'm looking out at things, you know, you see all these stories about microbeads and the corporate entities out there that really produce a lot of the plastic. I don't know what the regulations are or anything like that, but there doesn't seem to be a lot of incentives to not use plastic. And so, you know, you think about, like I said, the microbeads or the plastic water bottles issues that are coming out. And I may have read an article or something about single use plastic. And I thought, wow, this is going to be a big deal. It wasn't really an article. It was more of a, a rant that I posted at, at some point on one of the social media platforms. And just to say that, hey, don't be surprised when this word is a thing that we start talking about. And then obviously going over to the island and seeing it washing in every day, I was going, man, this is, this is way bigger than just some little liberal fad thing that's going to come and go. Like this is a, a big deal. I like how you recognized, you know, the importance of this and your care and nurturing of the environment and the ecosystem and things like that. You've researched, you've educated yourself, and lots of people will stop there, right? We'll have passion, we'll learn everything we can about an issue, and then we won't do anything about it. You took it to that next step. You actioned your hope. Why? <laughs> you know, like what propelled you to continue believing and executing on something you had such strong feelings with? I've given that a lot of thought in preparation for uh, mm. chatting with you because it's what's different this time? Because I've had a hundred business ideas. Like I said, I pulled the idea from my folder. I literally have a folder of business ideas that have almost fully articulated business plans. You and I have been friends for 13 years. I have seen that folder. You have had it forever. <laughs> yeah, and my stumbling block has always been action. Like getting the plan built is fun and easy for me. It's taking that next step. And I think what helped this time was just how big the problem I was seeing on the beaches is. I'm talking about Pacific Rim National Park. Like this is one of the most heavily visited national parks in Canada. And from January to May, it's inundated with plastic. And people in the summer that come and visit don't see it because all the locals go out on the beaches and pick it up. And that's kind of the season for plastic on the beaches. It still comes in the rest of the year, but it's during that storm season in the spring when everything's kind of loosening up and getting tossed around. And I think seeing that and seeing how significant that was really kind of prompted me to take the action. It's kind of like a perfect storm of situations in my life too, because I was coming back to Vancouver and kind of having those thoughts of like, man, how do I make a difference? And I don't necessarily have a job right now. What should I do? And going out for all of the interviews and stuff like that, I was kind of disenchanted with taking another stab at cubicle life. 
yeah, so those two things, seeing all the plastic and then being given the opportunity to take a chance prompted me into action. And it literally has been all about hope ever since. I wasn't coming back from the island planning to start a business. I didn't have like a huge savings account that I was going to build this business off of. It really is being built off of sales. And there's a lot of hope involved there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And continuing to take that chance. Like you talked about, you just decided to take the chance. That's that's risky. And lots of people will just choose no action over taking a chance. Yeah. I think action is easier when you see other people do it, for sure. I'm lucky I have a, a number of friends who are entrepreneurs and are very successful entrepreneurs. So I have their template or model to look at and go, hey, if they can do it, I can do it. <laughs> so that gives me confidence, I think, in the risk or confidence in the steps that I need to take next. I was looking at the definition of hope on the Merriam-Webster site. There was three of them. And the one that really resonated with me is to expect with confidence. Ooh. And that was much different than the other one. It was like to look forward to something with anticipation. I think those are two very different definitions. And the one that I chose to sort of resonate with is to expect with confidence. And where does that confidence come from? It comes from preparation. It's that old saying of you got to be good to be lucky. I think that's right. You have to be good to be lucky. And to be good, you have to be educated and be actionable and to be prepared. Preparation is everything. Totally. And I've done a lot of preparation on the planning side, but the action side, that's the new one. That's the one where it's kind of like, okay, I've done this in my other jobs so many times, but it's always been for someone else. Now I have to do it for me. So how do you keep that motivation going when the experience is setback or a decision you make doesn't turn out the way you wanted it to? Like, how do you keep that motivation going? That is the mystery. (laughs) (laughs) Trying to keep that vision at the front of my mind every day. And I'm no expert at it, that's for sure. Because the hardest thing I'm doing right now is the actual direct selling, like grabbing a, a set of flowers and going out and knocking on businesses' doors to say, hey, this is what I'm doing. If you need flowers, give me a call kind of thing. And that's the hardest one that I've ever had in my career is this idea of direct sales. But I still do it because I've put a lot of work in and I know that the response that I get is incredible. And people really resonate with the idea of doing more. And I think to answer the earlier question of why don't people take steps, I think it's easier to take the step when someone kind of shows you where it is. and I'm hoping that I can do that with this where, hey, here's one way you can reduce your plastic impact. When I walk down the street now and I see people holding flowers, all I see is the plastic. And even if it does go to recycling, can it actually be recycled? That's a whole other part of it too that sort of made me want to take action is, I think it was earlier this year or recently, China decided to not accept any more of North America's recycling. Mm Mm-hmm. Even if your recycling program is fully dialed in and working, now all of a sudden you've got a problem with supply. How do you get rid of all this stuff? The easiest way to get rid of it is to not get it in the first place. And stop the demand for it. Yeah. You talked a lot about vision and keeping your vision at the front. What is your best tip on 
creating that vision? Planning something and doing it are two very different things. And I've been doing this now for about 100 days. And I think my plan has probably changed three or four times. Like I was saying with the direct selling, I wasn't planning to do direct sales to start with. My vision or plan, <laughs> it changes with the response. I overestimated the value of social media to support the business. And so I've had to change my expectation on what social media can deliver in terms of results. So my hope has changed because my vision has changed. I'm always looking for responses from people to the actions that I'm taking and using that to shape the vision. I, I kind of have this picture in my mind of what it's going to look like when I've got a team of people and I can sit there and look at plans for the month or the week or the, the year and get feedback from other people. And I'm like, this, there's this vision I have of a really cool office space and everyone working there is loving their job and all this kind of stuff. But that is a long ways away. Each day I have to get up with that in mind and say, what's the next most important step? One of my friends uses the 90 days. What do we have to do in the next 90 days to accomplish these goals? And I've been using, what's, what do I have to do in the next nine days? <laughs> <laughs> because 90 days is so far away from me right now. Having the vision is one thing, but the activities and the actions you take to get to that long-term vision changes all the time, right? I mean, you've been an entrepreneur forever. I've been an entrepreneur forever. I like to say, okay, my father-in-law told me, plans in sand, goals in concrete. The deal being that you have this goal that's pretty solidified of where you want to be, but how you get there is going to shift with the sand, with the tide, with, you know, with the yeah, wind, yeah. because especially in the startup phase of your business, I like that nine days. What are you going to do in nine days? Because God knows what day 10 looks like. Exactly. Yeah. Coming from corporate where the businesses you were working in were quite established and people were telling you what to do. What kind of a mindset shift is it for you to be okay to plan nine days out? Well, the, the corporate world, I was definitely one of the planning project managing level kind of people. That was always easy to map out the big vision and all that kind of stuff. The major difference between that and what I'm experiencing now is strictly money. Like when I say social media isn't delivering the results I was hoping, it's because I'm not spending 10 grand a week on doing A-B testing on certain ads or whatever, you know, like I'm going, I've got this much time and this much money. That's not going to get me any kind of metrics to test with. So I'm just going to take this step and hope that it works and then react to the response that I get and then take the next step. I kind of break the whole thing into small daily actions and then larger weekly ones and monthly ones. And then there's like kind of the overarching strategic ones. And those ones hopefully don't change too much. I love that the plan in the sand, it's going to change. And those are the ones I'm rapidly reacting to. <laughs> the bigger my plans are, the more vague the required actions are for me. Like I don't know what, I need to do to build that team and to have that many people helping to sell flowers. But I know that's where I want to get to because I want this to be a business that sustains itself and provides careers for people and all that kind of thing. The one thing that's always in the back of my mind is that old saying of the only bad decision is no decision. No decision is always the easiest. 
So it's challenging to know what the right decision is, but you got to make one and then see how it responds. Being lost in the forest. They always say, if you're lost in the forest, don't do anything, stay where you are and everything will be fine. Someone will come and find you. And that's never really resonated for me. I grew up in the forest and that, <laughs> it's kind of like, that's the last thing you want to do. That guarantees you're going to stay there until someone else affects your outcome. So if I'm lost and I'm sitting there, I'm hoping that someone's going to come and find me. Whereas if I'm taking educated and informed next steps, I'm constantly crossing bad decisions off the list <laughs> until I get to the right one that's going to get me home. Because hope without action is just a wish. Yeah, I like that analogy, the lost in the forest analogy, whether your forest is a literal forest or just a unknown situation that you find yourself in, right? You, you need to help yourself and take calculated, confident baby steps in a direction and then reassess. Yeah. So if somebody that's listening to this episode wants to start a eco-conscious business, what's your best piece of advice? In capital letters, do it now. I've met some amazing people. There's several communities out there that are completely supportive of this stuff. Like there's a zero waste community. There's plastic free communities. There's whatever your jam is, someone out there has the peanut butter to match it. Prepare and ideally figure out your finances. I think you can do it kind of on a shoestring and kind of winging it like I've been doing. You know, get good partners around you. Know what your strengths are. Get partners who have strengths in the other areas. If money and finance isn't your strength, get a partner or an investor that can fill that gap and still support all of your vision and goals. One of the things that kind of motivates me as well is a, a friend of mine from a way back when he was a finance banker and his thing was just make sure you do the work, make it so that your business is something other people want to be involved in. If other people don't want to be involved in it, you probably shouldn't be spending your money doing it. <laughs> Interesting. Good quote. Build a business that other people want to be a part of. Otherwise you're automatically going to fail unless you want to do everything yourself. <laughs> <laughs> well, the idea is that you'd like to make some money at it and other people would yeah. have to buy your stuff. Or invest in it. You know, like, I mean, when he was telling me that it was like, don't spend your money doing everything. Like if it's a good enough idea, there will be people out there who will support it financially. Right. And if there aren't those people, then you shouldn't be supporting it financially. <laughs> Such good advice. Such good yeah. advice. <laughs> the last question I like to ask is, what gives you hope? I think the one of the things that is super encouraging, just from the time I was walking the beaches to now, I'm already seeing big movements towards changing the way people consume. And I hope it's more of an action than something that people just kind of go, yeah, yeah, let them do it. <laughs> you know, you're seeing a lot of big actions being taken to fix the problem that exists. And then also through these like single use plastic bands and all this kind of stuff to try and make change for the future. Those things give me a lot of hope. They're always met with opposition, of course, but it's just a matter of continuing to pursue and, and raise awareness of those issues, whether your issue is plastic or not. 
there's ways to make a positive difference in how we consume and how much of what we consume ends up in the environment. I love your passion and your intelligence and your hopeful motivation. It's inspiring to hear, you know, you mentioned that it always helps when you hear and see what other people are doing because it encourages you to do the next right thing. And this conversation has encouraged me to continue doing what I believe the next right things are for me. And I know that message will resonate with the listeners as well. Likewise, Lindsay, I love what you're doing and knowing you're out there hammering away every day like I am is also inspiring. (laughs) We met on an entrepreneurial venture and I feel like that'll be the tie that binds us together for the rest of our entrepreneurial journey. For sure. Thank you so much, Bruce. I really appreciate you sharing your story with us and looking forward to seeing more about BloomZoom out there. Thanks very much. Thanks so much for listening to the Hope Motivates Action podcast. Be sure to tune in every week as I interview more inspiring people who have used the power of hope to motivate action in their own lives. If you love this podcast, please be sure to subscribe and give me a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. My ultimate goal is to travel the world spreading hope. So if you'd like me to speak to your group or organization, just get in touch. Love for you to visit my website at expert inhope.com and follow me on social media. I have Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thanks again for your support. And remember, hope without action is just a wish.